0: My name is Adam. I am the pastor here. Welcome to the vineyard. Hi. Good morning to all the mothers in the house. What's up? Holla. My mom's here. Hey, mama. Love you. Yeah. um, Everybody, like, call their moms and send them a present, right? Like college boys, you called your mom and you sent her a present, right? And don't give me this, I didn't have any money stuff. You know, everybody's got money for what they really care about. Dude, it just got heavy, didn't it? Yeah. Don't tell your mom you love her. Show her. With presents. This is, one of the, this is, this is free, and then we'll get into the other stuff. This is, this is one of the things I've found out about life. I don't know hardly anything about women, but I do know this. All women love to get gifts. Isn't that right, Heather? Isn't that right, Mom? There's not a woman alive who doesn't, af- doesn't feel affirmed with presents. You need to go get your mom a gift. Bottom line. She's put up with a lot of your crap. <laughs> all right. Um, that being said, I'm not going to talk about Mother's Day stuff at all today. So. I wouldn't even know how to do that if I wanted to. Uh, if you want to this morning, uh, I want you to turn to First Corinthians chapter 15. I want to, I don't know, I need, I need help from Jesus this morning. I want to, I want to tell a story, I want to teach a little bit, and then I just want to, I just want to proclaim some stuff, if that'd be okay. So this morning has the real potential to be pretty hectic, just because I want to do about four different things, and I don't even know how it's supposed to go together. It goes together really terribly in my notes, so we'll see how this works. Uh, first thing I want to do is I want to tell you this. Like all of us here, not just, not just me, but everybody here, like we're standing in the middle of a new season. Like You know what I'm saying? It's just things have changed. Um, but it's a new season that started a long time ago, and I want to uncover that by t- beginning to tell you a story for, about when I was a kid. Uh, when I was a kid, I grew up on a strawberry farm, and some of you guys know where I grew up. Um, have you guys ever been out to Dick and Diane Salmon's house? Anybody in here? And and Greg and Mimi, have you? Yeah, they've been there. And David and Kelly, you guys have been there, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I grew up in I grew up in a compound. Uh, it was it, it, minus David Koresh, which is a bonus. Um, but I grew up in a compound, and when I was a, a really little kid, I grew up. That compound was less of a compound. And it was more of a strawberry farm. And have, you, have any of you guys ever picked strawberries on an actual strawberry farm? Like you went out and you, isn't it great? There, there is no different, there is, there is no comparing a store-bought strawberry and a, right out of the field with, a, with some bug spit and dirt on it. Like you have to wipe it off. If you've ever picked strawberries, you know what I'm talking about. The spit bugs are out there. You have to wipe the spit bug off and then you eat it. There's no comparison. It's the difference between counterfeit and real. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, I didn't even know what a strawberry was until I went out in the field and tasted it. Yeah, so I grew up on this strawberry farm, but it, it looked way different then than the compound looks now. In fact, when I grew up, there was a great big tobacco barn, and it sits right where Diane and Dick Salmon's house is. And this was a massive tobacco barn. Um, it, at least it felt big to me. It was, it was the kind of tobacco barn that could fit, like, all of the tobacco that Philip Morris would need for a year. I mean, it was a really big tobacco barn. And it was, and I, I remember it being, um, it was really well built because uh, the inside of the, of the tobacco barn was incredibly dry, which is pretty normal for a tobacco barn. But a lot of times, like as a tobacco barn ages, there'll be like little holes that work into the metal roof and there'll be places where the rain can come through. There weren't those holes in this tobacco barn because when you went into the toba- the, to the tobacco barn um, the, the dirt had changed and it wasn't hard it was like a half inch of powder anybody ever been into a barn like that where the you know it's, it's not hard it's like this It was a half inch like foam chocolate mousse powder it was so dry in there and I remember going in there with my dad when I was a kid and after they had cut the tobacco and hung it up I remember one time my dad went in and just like pulled a leaf right out of the tobacco barn and put it in his mouth and he didn't he didn't even flinch have, you, have anyone in here ever done that? I try, see, I imitated my dad, and it almost killed me. Like he didn't even knock the dust off of the leaf. Just straight in his mouth, and apparently he enjoyed it. But I grew up on this farm, and, uh, and where David and Kelly's house is, there was no house. It was just a grassy field that I had to go and mow every week. I hated it. Now David hates it. But around their house was about three acres of strawberries. And then in front of where Greg and Mimi's house is, there was another field that goes out to the road and there were at times another two, about two acres of strawberries there. And then there was another field sort of, uh, sort of in the shade where my dad pastures his mules right now. And there was a, a, a field of strawberries there that kind of went up behind this tobacco barn. If you ever go out there to the compound, it, it doesn't look anything now like it used to when I was a kid. And I used to love this time of year growing up on the strawberry farm. I, in general, I love this time of year anywhere. I think, I think spring is the very best time in Kentucky. There's nothing like it. Um, also, a little bit later in my life, when I, when I was growing up, when I was in high school, I worked at a, at a landscape company that is no longer in business. It was just down the road here on Highway 55. And In March, this smell happened in a greenhouse that, that, you, that, that is only in a greenhouse in March. There's only about two weeks there's this smell. It's the smell of like, Soil and moisture and growing things. And if you've never smelled it, you need to go visit a greenhouse in March. Because it 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 places a it'll impress you. There's something about it. It's so cool. It's still imprinted on my mind. But that same smell happens in Kentucky about this time of year on a strawberry farm. It's this it's this smell of like dirt and soil and moisture and bugs. And things growing, and straw, it's the strangest thing, but I can remember being five or six years old, and going out, and there's a smell that's only in the air, in Kentucky, on a strawberry farm, about this time of year, and this is what I I really loved. Um, I remember about this time of year, we'd go out, and of course, the strawberries, they grow in rows, and there's straw around them, they are strawberries, and they're, they're like these little green hedges, you know, and, you know, dad really didn't want me out in there, but about this time of year, we'd, we'd start going out in there. And somewhere along this time of year, maybe a week later or maybe two weeks later, but right around this time of year, you'd go out into the strawberry patch, and, or at least I would anyway, and when no one was looking, I'd begin to walk the rose. And the reason I'm walking the rose is I'm looking for that first ripe berry. okay? And the, 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 the little shrubs, they're like perfectly green. And then about this time of year, almost all the berries are this... They're, they're hard, and they're small, and they're chartreuse. But right around this time of year, you'll be walking the rows, and I remember this every year. I'd be walking the row, and you'd come upon the first ripe berry. I mean, quicker than lightning, I have it in my hand. I don't, I don't even wipe off the spit bugs, I just eat it. The green cap and all, you know? Because you're so excited. It's a sign that the season's changed. It's a sign that like something, something powerful has happened. Something powerful has happened. It's changed. Grab that first berry. Put it in your mouth. Quicker than lightning. It's instantly gone. And then as a kid, I remember, the very next thing you do is you begin to frantically look around for the next one, right? And you're jumping rows. And you're running up and down rows for the next one. And a lot of times you can't find it because you just ate the first ripe berry. It's a sad moment, and it's a happy moment. It's a sad moment because you just ate the only ripe berry. But it's a happy moment because you know, you know that you know that you know, not just intellectually, not just because you know the calendar, but because you've tasted it. You know that the season's changed and that there are more ripe berries coming behind that one. I really really encourage everyone to go do this. You know that the season's changed. You know that something has happened. And you know that there are more ripe berries behind it. And so what I really want to do this morning is I really want to just... Um, I want to proclaim that this is a new season that we're living in and that we're living on the front, e- we're living on the front edge of a new age... We're living, on, uh, we're living on the front edge of permanent spring. I really feel like we're living in... And this isn't new. This is actually really old. It's Springtime has happened and it is continually happening. We're living on the front edge of a new age. We're living on the front edge of permanent spring. And I want to I show you this in the scriptures. If you want to, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is what Paul says in, in, in verse, um, verse 20 and 21. He says, He says, hey, Christ has indeed been risen from the dead, the first fruits. I want you to understand that the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, um, <clears throat> for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so so as in Christ all will be made alive. And here's what I want to tell you this morning: Jesus Christ was the first rice ripe strawberry of the season. The Bible says that he's first fruits. And this concept of first fruits is a really big deal in the Bible. It's a, it's a really big deal. Um, a lot of times with, uh, with first fruits, especially in the Old Testament, uh, first fruits comes with this concept of thanksgiving. So you'd receive the first fruits and you'd receive it with thanksgiving. And, and really this is the heart picture. I receive the first fruits and I'm thankful for, for what God has done this first little bit. But it's, it's not just backward-looking thankfulness. It's forward-looking thankfulness because the first fruits tell me that not only has God done something, but it's He's going to do more. And so Jesus is the first ripe strawberry in a resurrection field that's about to hit it like crazy. And that's powerfully important for, for not just Jesus and people who are dead, but it's also powerfully important for people like us. There's been a, there's been a season change and it began with Jesus. Jesus' resurrection, it instantly and forever, shifted the balance. And all of creation on that day when he got out of the grave, all of creation began to thaw. Winter, winter ended. When Jesus emerged from the tomb, creation began to thaw. And we began to, we began to experience permanent spring. And that's the, that's the age that we're living in right now. <clears throat> I also want to share one other scripture with you uh, outside of a couple other scriptures here with you outside of uh, chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians and we'll come back to it. In Colossians uh, chapter 1, uh, it says this about Jesus. It says, He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from among the dead. So we have two different images of Jesus here specifically with, with tied to resurrection. We've got firstfruits images and then we've got firstborn from the dead. Firstborn from the dead. And this passage in Colossians, uh, I'm going to take one little tangent here. This passage in Colossians, for all the songwriters here, this was a hymn in the early church. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through about 21, this is a song they sang in the church. Uh, you guys should go look at that, and we should write a song. Okay? This is, and it's, a, it's, a, it's all a song about the supremacy of Jesus. And the reason that Jesus is supreme, one of the main reasons, not just he's not just playing his God card, He's supreme because he's the firstborn from the dead. Now, here's the deal. Up to Jesus, other people had been raised from the dead, right? A couple guys in, in the Old Testament, Elijah, Elisha, they pull some people back from the dead. And then in the New Testament, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter. Y'all remember that? She's not dead. She's asleep. Little girl, I'll tell you, get up. She gets up. Not only did, uh, did Jesus uh, raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, uh, we also know that he, he completely ruined a funeral one time. There's a funeral procession. Everyone's wailing. Jesus just shows up and ruins the funeral. And I love that because it's such a picture of the Father's heart and it's such a, it's such a picture of who Jesus is and it's such a picture of his ministry. He's the guy who ruins funerals. Hey, stop it. You, we should quit. We should, really, we should quit crying. We should stop the parade. Here, he just goes in and grabs the boy raises him up. Funeral ruined. And then also Jesus uh jesus essentially lets lazarus die he was sick jesus camps out a few more days and he shows up at lazarus's house lazarus in the tomb he's been there about four days he stinks and he just speaks to lazarus lazarus comes out so there's been other people who have been raised from the dead so if there's been other people who have been raised from the dead how is it that jesus here in colossians is considered to be the beginning and the firstborn from the dead What's the difference there? Well, the main difference is this. Jesus isn't just someone who's been raised from the dead. Jesus is someone who's been raised from the dead and never died again. Can I tell you something? All those other people died again. Jesus, something powerful happened. A a, a berry ripened in the field and it's a completely different kind of berry. It's a completely different kind of season. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, he was raised permanently forever. And so something shifted and the way planet Earth works. It isn't that death reigns even for a moment. It's that life is emerging, just like tender shoots out of the ground. And it's a shoot that will not be, it's a shoot that will not wither and it will not wilt. It's a brand new season. So he's supreme because he's first, he's the firstborn. Only Jesus was raised and never died again. He's also supreme because his life makes a way for others. See, here's the deal. There are a lot of great people in the world. Uh, they're, and they're great because they do great things. So there's all these great people in the world, and they do great things. They, they have foundations and, you know, <clears throat> great people, uh, brilliant people, uh, people who write books, people who, who shape culture, uh, people uh, who work at NASA and work algorithms that you and I will never even be able to comprehend. Even if we put all of our brains together in one computer, we couldn't even do it. But there are people out there who can just do this stuff and they can work out trajectories and they can put people in orbit. I don't know how that works, but they're great people. But there's a different kind of greatness in the kingdom. And in the kingdom, greatness isn't just what can I do, but it's who can I make great. Like, who can I bring with me? There's a a powerful difference in the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of heaven, you, you don't really get all that many points for all the great things you can do. You get points for how can you take someone and teach them to do or be just like you. And so Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn who was raised up alive never to die again and he is supreme and he is great because he is going to make a way he has made a way and he is going to raise up everyone who's ever put trust in him he's going to raise them out of the ground and he has made a way for them to be alive and never die again that's a completely different kind of greatness see the truly great make a way for other people Romans 8 29 says this this. there's this little phrase in there that Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. So This is a reason that Jesus is supreme. He's the firstborn from the dead, and he's the firstborn among many brothers. Um, Ray Hollenbach has a, has a saying that I really love about the Lord. He says, Jesus opened the womb of heaven. Why is that important? Because when a womb is open with the firstborn, there's the expectation that others will follow. Am I right? And what does Romans tell us? It says that Jesus is the firstborn of many brothers. One of the things we need to underline in that passage in Romans chapter 8 is the word many. See, a lot of us, a lot of us live with this reality. Uh, we've overemphasized certain portions of the Scripture and we've taken it to mean that only a few people are going to be born into, into God's kingdom. That's just absolutely not true. Romans tells us clear. Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. Not a few. It's not just a, us a couple hundred right here. It's going to be many God's doing something through Jesus. He's turned the tides. He's changed the season. We're heading toward permanent spring. And in springtime, all kinds of things get born. Uh, my mom, when, when, when she and dad first wanted to have children, uh, had a really hard time conceiving. And so she prayed and prayed for years, and she begged and pleaded. And it, honestly, basically, the, the story with my mom was that all you'd have to do is just go back and read. We, we just did that series on First and Second Samuel. Go all the way back and read like the story of of Hannah and Samuel, and that's pretty much that's pretty much my mom's story. Couldn't have a kid, couldn't have a kid. Some people laid hands on her, the Holy Spirit touched her, opened her, a, opened her womb, and I jumped in there. And and then one day, then one day I slid out, and the doctor caught me. It's actually not that easy, but that's the way I like to think about it. I just I do really bad with that whole thing, like that whole birth. uh, I I stay at Heather's head. I don't look at anything. I I can't handle the blood or the guts. Ryan knows what I'm talking about. We just totally freak out. So some of this is revisionist history. I just I just choose to rewrite it. I mean, when you hear a woman scream, bloody murder! Wow. But anyway, I came out. And it was supernatural. Like, my mom couldn't have a kid, has a kid, has me, holds me in her arms, and then two years later, she has my sister. What's the point? The point is, when a womb gets filled with a baby and has another one, has one, there's always the expectation that another one is coming. He's the firstborn of many brothers. Not a few, but many. He was raised up permanently, never going to die again, and he has done something. He has done something in the universe, and there are going to be many people thank you, Jesus, we get to be included in that, who are raised up never to die. So we have eternal life is dwelling on the inside right now. See, a lot of us have this expectation that heaven is somewhere else and it's a faraway place and it's for another day. All of that is false. It's here, it's now, it's today, it's on the inside. We're beginning to walk in permanent spring, even now. I want us to skip like a stone across um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I think this is a really important passage right now. Um, Let's look at the first eight verses here. Because Jesus' resurrection has has so radically changed the climate and has so radically changed the environment that it it has redefined life and death. Now, Paul's talking about a lot of things in these first eight verses. But what I really want you to see is that life and death have been redefined because Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Let's look at this. Paul says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word preached to you. Otherwise, you, you have believed in vain. For what, what I have received I passed on to you as of first importance. Now, stop right there because you need to pay attention to this. This is what Paul considers to be of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he, see, Notice that he doesn't stop at Christ died for our sins. See, most of the church stops at died for our sins. All right? Paul says this is of first importance. Of first importance is that Jesus died for our sins. But that's not the only thing that's important. He was, he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Let's go on and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. I want you to underline that word, fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. What's of first importance? That Jesus died for sins, that he was buried, he was put in the ground, everyone else was playing football on Saturday, not Jesus right he was raised up he was raised up and then he appeared to all these people and here's the thing i want you to see a couple things number 1 to have an encounter with the resurrected jesus that is what life is life is to have an encounter with the resurrected jesus paul says i was born abnormally how was paul born he was born he was born by an encounter with the resurrected jesus What is life? Life is having an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Life only comes from one place. It comes out of the hand and out of the mouth of the man who has taken death, wrestled it down, thrown it into the grave, and been resurrected. There is no other life other than to have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. But I want you to see this as well. Jesus' resurrection... Resurrection... Jesus' resurrection redefines life and death. So life isn't the pursuit of money. Life isn't the pursuit of goals. Life isn't the pursuit of relationships. Life isn't the, merely the pursuit of doing great things. My, life isn't the pursuit of popularity. Life isn't the pursuit of getting your Twitter account to be bigger. Life isn't the pursuit of blowing up a blog. I know all about that. Life isn't, life isn't uh, having a bigger ministry. Uh, life isn't any of those things. It's an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Life gets redefined. But here's the other thing I want you to see. Death gets redefined. Look at what Paul says. Jesus appears to all these people, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Do you think Paul is stupid? Anyone in here believe that the Apostle Paul was an idiot? This is a judgment-free zone. You can put your hand up. We won't judge you. Okay, got no takers. Anyone in here believe that Paul was naive? Anybody in here think that Paul's just trying to play the cheap comfort card here by saying these guys have fallen asleep? No. What's the point? The point is, Jesus' resurrection has so radically and powerfully changed life and death that death isn't even death anymore. It's just falling asleep. It's just falling asleep. That's all it is. Everybody in here goes to sleep, Right? You go to sleep, and then what happens in the morning? You get up. So death is, at best, at best, or at worst, I should say, at worst, temporary. At worst, temporary. How many of you realize that when when you go to sleep at night, that not all of your biological functions stop? Your heart is still beating. Your lungs are taking in air. brain is still working. What's the point? The point is... That even in our death, God is working something through us that is supernatural, that is powerful, that even in death, even in sleep, He is redeeming us. There, there is not even one moment that is unused to God. There's not even one moment unused to God. That's what I love about the Jesus narrative when He was crucified. So He's crucified on Friday and He dies. And on Saturday, he's a stiff board in a tomb. Nothing happens. But then on Sunday morning, even before light has come out, he's resurrected. I love, I love Saturday. One of the things I'm beginning to love right now more and more is I love the fact that God works in Saturday. He works in the darkest moment. He, looks, he works when, when it feels like nothing is going right. He works in, 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 the, in, in, the, in the quietest hour. And Jesus was resurrected not with not with the rising of the sun. He got up even before that. God can do things in the dark that people don't even believe. Like, He can do God is like working all the time. So even in my death, He is at work. He is accomplishing something. And this does a couple things. Number one, number one, we should never, ever, ever have to fear. We should never, never, ever, ever, ever have to fear. What's the worst thing that can happen to you in life? Lose your house? Big deal. What's the worst thing in life that can happen to you? You get killed? Lose your life? That's temporary at best. I'll tell you a sad story. I, I knew a woman who, who lived most of her life as a believer. And right before she died, she was in her 90s, and she was completely gripped with fear about death. You know, that should never, never, never be us. Death is at best temporary, and even in death, God is going to He is going to work in the dark, and He is He is going to work out His plan and His goal, and it is going to be glorious. What grows up out of that out of that out of that ground is going to be glorious. Not only that, not only should we be people who who never fear, but we should also be people. Who, because of Jesus' resurrection, we should be walking in the increased rest, okay? you have to go with me here a little bit on this. <clears throat> we should be people who are walking in increased rest. Um, how many of you realize that there are some things that only God can do? Okay, there are some, certain things that only God can do. There are certain things, even though uh, we, we have tried to, uh, have tried, will continue to try, to be a culture uh, that preaches partnering with God. You know, that's that's really like at the foundation of our DNA. That's who we are. Let's partner with God. Let's see what he's doing. Let's go do it. Even if it's crazy, let's go do it. But there are certain things that are just reserved for God. There are certain things only God can do. And and, in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus goes to Jairus' house to raise up Jairus' daughter, he gets to the door. And you realize Jairus comes to get Jesus because no one else can raise up a dead person. Am I right? And Jesus shows up at the door, and when he shows up, everyone's wailing, and he, he tells them, hey, don't worry about it, she's just asleep. Is that a sleep thing again? See, this isn't just Pauline theology, this is, this is the kingdom of heaven breaking in. And so he goes inside, and he says to her, little girl, get up, which is essentially, which is essentially saying this, honey, my child, just like any of you parents ever gone in and awakened, and awakened your own children, honey, wake up. And she just pops right out of bed, and she, he says, give her some fish. How many of you realize that the only person who could have done that was Jesus? See, there are certain things that, that, that only Jesus can do. When it, comes to, when it comes to my resurrection, in the most ultimate sense, there's, that's something that's reserved for God. Only He can do that. But then, and, and, and because of that, I can live in increased rest. I can live with the assurance that not everything that is going to happen depends upon my goodness. But not only that, because the, because this, the kingdom of heaven is, is layered and it's multidimensional. It's like a layer cake. Any of you all ever eat a good cake? It's layered. See, it's not, this isn't just true in the, most, um, in the most ultimate of senses, in the most apocalyptic, eschatological, at the end of the day, at the end of the age, resurrection of all the saints. Saints, saints. I'm, I speak for a living. It's not just true in that dynamic, but it's also true in the other hundred or thousand resurrections that need to take place in my life. How many of you all have just some dead areas in your life? Just some some dead attitudes and some dead relationships and some... Yeah. See, certain things are only going to respond to the voice of God. Certain things for all my willingness and desire to see them overcome, certain things for all my willingness and desire to partner with God to see His kingdom come in the earth... Certain things only respond to his voice. And so, so that allows me to live in greater rest, knowing that, Father, I, will, I, 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 I just lay in the darkness and I await your voice to call me up. You know, there's certain things in my life that I just can't take care of. You know, I can read the Bible all day long. It doesn't get better. And what I need is, I need my brother Jesus, firstborn among many. I need brother Jesus to come in and I need him to speak to me Adam, brother, good friend, why don't you get up in this area? Speak the word of life to me. One of the things I've really come to know as I've walked with God for the past few years is that God is so incredibly good, so incredibly merciful, and He is speaking resurrection words over people all the time. He's speaking life all the time. So we don't have to live in fear. And we don't have to like bonk ourselves out with effort. Resurrection redefines life and it redefines death. Not only that, but resurrection is the center, it's the foundation, and it's the bedrock of our faith. I want to read a few more scriptures to you. In chapter 15, verse um, like 12 through 19. Can we have that, Seth? Thank you. It's, 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 resurrection is the center of our faith. This is what Paul says. He says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? See, there are some people at the church in Corinth, not just there, but all over the area there, who were saying, hey, there is no resurrection. And Paul's saying, that's crazy. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found out to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He has raised Christ from the dead, but he, did, but he did not raise Him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. What's Paul saying? The resurrection is the center, the bedrock, and the foundation of our faith. That's what he's saying. Why do I bring it up? I bring it up because most of the church, we have settled for cross and crucifixion as the center of our faith. And I'm here to tell you, cross and crucifixion are not the center of our faith. It is resurrection that is the center of our faith. This is a really, really big deal. See, cross, cross and crucifixion wipes away sin. But it's resurrection that wipes away death. I don't know about you. I'll take the latter. You know? Now let me give you let me give you the devil devil's advocate part of this. You can't get resurrected until you die. So I'm not saying that cross and and crucifixion aren't a part of this. I'm just saying it's not the foundation, it's not the bedrock, and it's not the it's not the It's not the thing that we lay all of our hopes on. We lay all of our hopes on the fact that Jesus was the first ripe strawberry in the field. It's a brand new day. Here's another implication of that, that the the resurrection is is the center and the foundation, the bedrock of our faith. The reason it's the, the center and the foundation is because... It's the beginning of God beginning let me see how, how complicated can I say this? The resurrection hang on, y'all get with me. Bring power here, OK? Because I'm, I'm not communicating work today. The resurrection is the beginning of the beginning of God putting the world back to rights. Can I tell you something? See, the reason, the reason that cross isn't the center, but resurrection is, is because, it's because death was never a part of God's plan. One of the things that's becoming more and more alive to me um, as I grow in Jesus is Genesis chapter 1 and 2. There is, it's loaded, you all. Like God's plan never included death. No one, people, it just wasn't what He wanted. It's not what He had in mind. He didn't even want the animals to die. Can I tell you that? He didn't even want animals to die. And so in the resurrection of Jesus, what we get is we get the beginning of God Starting to put the world back together the way he wanted it. A world that doesn't include death. See, everybody in here was made to live. Nobody in here was made to die. You were made to live. And one, of the re- and one of the ways we know f- from the scriptures that this is God's plan is because, <clears throat> is because after Jesus was resurrected, what did he do? He hung out, right? He hung out for how long? Forty days. Forty is kind of a big number in the scripture. So Jesus hangs around for forty days. And in the scripture, the number forty has to do with generations and it has to do with completeness. So God is saying, God is saying, in the resurrection of Jesus, I am doing something completely new for all generations in his resurrection. That's the reason Jesus hung around for 40 more days. But what did he do for 40 days when he was hanging out? He taught on the kingdom of God. So what we see here is that in Jesus' resurrection, God is saying, I am doing something completely new. And it's, complete, it's a complete work for all generations. And he's saying the complete word is my kingdom breaking in to the here and now. He's saying the future is breaking in to the here and now. Death was never a part of his plan. Jesus gets up. He hangs out for 40 days. He teaches. You understand that death was never a part of his plan, but people die all the time. And the only place where that we know that people aren't dying right now is in that future age when Jesus calls them back. So Jesus' resurrection is a down payment on a future age that wasn't happening at the moment. And so what we see is that the future got poured out like water into this present age's cup. It's the reason that when Jesus is out ministering all the time, the demons are freaking out. Jesus shows up and he'll just start talking and people who are completely demonized, the demons in them begin to shout out through them, Hey! Son of God, we know who you are. Why are they freaking out? Because it's essentially the devil in all of his demonic spheres saying, no fair, you're here too early. This happens in all of Jesus' ministry all the time. Why? Because it's the future breaking into the present. It's God beginning to set his world right. See, biblically speaking, there are only two ages. There's this present age, Full of death, darkness, hopelessness, despair. And then there's the age to come filled with life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, goodness. I think I left that one out. So in Jesus' resurrection, it's it's God's it's the beginning of God be, starting to shout over his creation. I, this is a new season. He's beginning to shout, I'm going to make every single thing new. Every single hurt, every single broken relationship, every single abuse. Every single uh every sp- single harsh word, every single pain in the heart. Um not only that, but uh corporate that uh Evil that isn't just like individual, but like corporate evils. The Lord's going to begin to deal with corporate evils. He's saying, you know, uh, companies that oppress other people to make a profit. God's saying, I care about that. It's in the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to set the world right. Not only that, but, but God's saying like, like natural disasters, like uh, tsunamis that kill millions of people and, and earthquakes that, that, that rock nations. Um, in the resurrection of Jesus, one of the things we see is that the future where there are no earthquakes, where there are no tsunamis, and where nature and people live in perfect harmony, is beginning to break into the here and now. And he's going he's to renew and redeem every single bit of it. A couple more things and, then, and then, we'll be, then we'll pull up for some air. Um, while we're kind of holding all this together one of the things I want you to realize um, is this I've already said this once but I want to I want to go back here is that the kingdom of heaven is, is layered it's like a it's like a really great cake has multiple layers so anything that happens in the ultimate sense can also happen in, in, in a less ultimate more immediate personal sense not only that but the kingdom of heaven is not just a destination but it is a direction and a destination Does that make sense? kingdom of heaven isn't just a destination, but it's a direction and a destination. Um, Two years ago, Heather and I, we flew to Chile, and it was just a torturous flight. Flew from Louisville to Dallas, hung out in the airport, and then the flight from Dallas to Santiago, Chile, is like 10 and a half hours. And I know some of you guys have flown longer than that, but for me, it's torture. If you've ever traveled, I don't travel well. And... um, so we're on our way to Chile, and as soon as the plane takes off from Dallas, every single second is less and less Dallas and more and more Santiago. Are you with me? This is, what the, this is a picture of the kingdom. When we begin to orient our lives around God's coming kingdom, when we begin to orient our lives around God's desire to set the world back to rights, we begin to direct ourselves toward the kingdom, and in doing so, we actually step into that future age. Every single moment, less and less Dallas, more and more Santiago. And after about nine hours of the flight, uh, we flew all night long. And so we're flying basically, if you can imagine this, due south. I mean, it's just perfectly south. So what that means is, so let's, let's just, are you guys visual? I'm the airplane, and this is south. All right? South. Over here would be east, and over here would be west. And as we're flying down, I'm sitting at a window seat, okay, on what would be the eastern side of the plane. And as we're flying down, about nine hours into the flight, the sun comes up over the Andes. And I had a Holy Spirit moment. I mean, I just, I got so touched by the, like, greatness of God. It was, it was unbelievable, because we're flying over at mountains that probably you can't even see unless you get on an airplane and fly over them. It's like, why would God make that? Just because he can, that's why. So he makes, and they're huge. I mean, we're talking about mountain, and the pilot comes on and goes, if you look over to your left, there's this mountain, he calls it something, it was in Spanish, I don't know what it was. And he's like, yeah, that mountain peak is 21,000 feet. It's like four miles in the air. And it's surrounded by all these mountain and they're all covered with snow. And the chances that any human being has ever put a foot there is almost zero. So we're flying over stuff that no one in all of history except for like, you know, the handful of people who, who have lived in the last 30 or 40 years and have flown from Dallas to Chile have ever laid eyes on. And it's in the heart of God to make it because he likes making stuff. Have this Holy Spirit moment. See, the kingdom of heaven isn't, isn't just a destination. It's a, it's a direction and a destination. Every mile we flew was less and less Dallas and more and more Santiago. And at a certain point, it became abundantly real. I wasn't in North America anymore. I'm in the Andes. And I wasn't even there yet. I wasn't even where I was planning on going yet. And I wasn't even able to do what I was asked to come and do yet. But I was already in it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Why is this such a big deal? This is such a big deal because when we get hung up on the kingdom of heaven as a destination alone, we end up losing the joy of the journey. If we have a real black and white picture of the kingdom of heaven as a destination, we become more and more more black and white about everything. We become more and more absolute. And the more black and white we become about everything, and the more absolute we become about everything, the less there is a chance for joy to have any room. Because the only thing that can the only thing that can matter is the absolute and perfection. But that's not what the kingdom of heaven is alone. It's not just perfection. It's the journey. See, all my joy wasn't tied up in just getting to Santiago. My joy was the direction that we had set, and I got to enjoy this moment with the Holy Spirit looking at creation that no one's ever seen. Yeah, when we lose, when we lose, when we lose the sense of the kingdom of heaven as a direction, we become stiff, we become religious, we, we become interested only in the black and white perfections, we become interested only in outcomes. And we miss the dawn of the day. We miss all the small victories along the way. And the small wins are the encouragement that we need to actually continue. They're the signs that we're on the right path. And direction is huge. So here's the deal. When, you, when we lose sense of the kingdom of heaven, is not just, not just a destination, but it's also a direction. We, we, we lose the ability to, to take joy in the little victories along the way. And it's the little victories along the way. It's the little berries that we find in the patch along the way. That let you know that you're on the right path. And without that encouragement, you might not even make it down the rest of the path. You end up becoming it's so weird. You end up pursuing God and you become this black and white person and who's only interested in absolutes, and you become more and more hard, more and more religious, less and less joyful, more and more angry, more and more, and, and at the end of the day, completely not like the Lord. <laughs> and Jesus is the destination. Do you see the irony in this? One last passage and then we'll be finished. Chapter 15. Turn to almost the end. Resurrection does a lot of things. Resurrection is changing everything. That's the last thing I want to get to. Resurrection is changing everything. See, we need to keep it in that tense. Not has changed, but is changing everything. Because uh, has changed is destination mindset. It's not direction mindset. So resurrection is changing everything, even me. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 47 through 49. This is what Paul says. This, uh, this, I, just, I got blasted on this this week. Paul says, The first man was of the dust of the earth, and the second man from heaven. This is so good. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. You can—that'll change your day. Are you kidding me? I don't know. Did you guys feel the wind on that? That's—that's that's like we don't even have to preach anymore, right? It's so good. See the kingdom of heaven is a is a is a direction and not just a destination. But Jesus' resurrection is changing everything, even me. You and I are on a journey. We're on we, we have when we when we when we begin to orient our lives around God, we begin to point ourselves toward a direction that will ultimately deliver us into a destination where we look like the Lord Jesus. All the way. Not just not just in some Super religious, I've been covered by the blood of the Lamb since, but I'm talking all the way down, right into the bottom of my heart, right into the poison well that I often speak to people out of. He's going to dry up the poison well, and He's going to turn it into a flowing fountain of blessing. All the way down there, all all the way. He's going to dry up the poison well. That's the thing the Lord's been telling me lately. He said, I'm going to dry up your poison well, and I'm going to turn you into encouragement. It's just a little personal word for me. Jesus is changing everything. He's even changing me. Some people read that passage and they go, "Oh, Adam, yeah. That's that's age to come stuff. That's not till after you die and you get resurrected. Yeah, of course he's going to change everything and even you." And I go, "Yeah." <laughs> and no. No. It's yes and no. Because Jesus was resurrected in this age. The age to come came and resurrected in this age. And because of that, my likeness can be changed in this age, not just the age to come. It will most certainly happen, but it can start right now. See, we can't be people who just live our whole lives hoping for another age. See, the other age has already begun to spill into this one. That age is beginning to crash into this one. Back to that Romans 8.29, you know, he's the firstborn among many brothers. We are those brothers. We are those brothers. We are those sisters. And so the question this morning really is this. That age has already begun to spill into this age. Romans 8.29 is already a reality that's being sung over this congregation right now. Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and many sisters. We are those brothers. We are those sisters. And so the question this morning is, am I in the family business? God the Father has a business. Jesus came and set up shop. And now the question is, am I in the family business? What is the family business? You say, the family business is bringing that age into this age. That's what the family business is. Jesus says, when he's teaching his disciples to pray, pray, pray. On earth as it is in heaven. Question is Am I partnering with God to see that age come into this age? How do we see that age come into this age? We see that age come into this age when we begin to walk beside God and listen for His voice and allow Him. To orient us. And then really the picture I have in my mind is of a... Anyone in here ever shot like bow and arrow? Yeah, this is the picture. Allow God, Allow God to just take our life as an arrow and put it into his bow and pull it out and shoot it at the darkest place and release me into it. Like the most broken system. That's what it looks like. One of the things you ought to do this week is you ought to just take like five seconds and you ought to just, uh, uh, you ought to write down um, everything that you know to be true about the age to come. Okay? Write down everything you know to be true about the age to come. I mean, you can use scripture or not. Honestly, if you want to, you can do it. This is really fun. You can, don't even use scripture at all. Just go, uh, if it was a perfect world, what would it look like? And just start writing it down because that's pretty much what it's going to be. Because that hope's already planted on the inside of you and and by the Spirit, everyone in here already knows what that looks like. And so what we can do is you can just write that down and go, okay, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is like the reality of life. Now, where am I going to be? Where is the Holy Spirit calling me to take this page and then rewrite it into into this place? You know? You know? In this age, parents beat their kids and abuse them. That's absolutely not in the age to come. Some people in here are called to rescue kids from parents who want to beat them up. And that's the future breaking into the present. We could play this game all day long. You guys understand what I'm talking about? Sweet. Yeah. Man, there's a real anointing here to do stuff today, isn't there? It's just really anointed here. Yay. Jesus. Hmm. Thanks, Father. Thanks, Father. If you're on the ministry team, come on up. I think I've said all I want to say.